Welcome to Hello Health Today, where health is a leadership strategy. I'm Dr. Carmen Mohan. The phenomenal servant leader Blythe Robinson is my guest today as we continue our Women at the Helm series. Blythe is the president and CEO of Sheltering Arms Early Education and Family Centers located in Atlanta. Sheltering Arms is one of Georgia's largest nonprofit organizations serving nearly 2,300 children daily, ages six weeks to five years old. Among other awards and recognitions, Blythe has been recognized as a member of the 2019 Academy of Women Achievers by the YWCA, named to Atlanta Business League's list of top 100 black women of influence for three years, and is a member of the Leadership of Atlanta Class of 2015. We talked about where passion comes from and how to fuel your fire. And I think everyone has a different way of recharging. For me, I need to sort of have some quiet moments to be re-energized, to face the next day, the next challenge. Blythe, welcome to Hello Health Today. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I have to start with the most obvious connect here. I am talking with another Maryland Terrapin. Go Terps! Go Terps! I love to meet Terps. So yes, uh, we're special people. <laughs> you graduated from Maryland with a degree in government and politics, along with a certificate in African American Studies. Then you went on to law school at Georgetown. Got to say, I love the D.C. area. But how did you make the leap from government and law to caring about early childhood education? So, you know, I always get asked that question and I think back to my own personal experience. So, you know, the government and politics degree was very natural for me. I knew as a very young child that I was going to law school. Didn't understand why I wanted to go to law school, but I knew that was like the thing I wanted to do. And I can tell you, I knew that as early as four or five years old, which takes me to early childhood education. I had a wonderful early childhood education experience. I went to, um, I'm from New York. I went to a place called Westmore Day Nursery. I remember Miss Kathy, Miss Lucille, Miss Donna, and Miss Brenda. And I remember loving that center. I, it was there that I learned uh, so much. I um, really developed my love for learning and my curiosity, uh, learned to read there, uh, learned to make friends there. I just learned there. And I have very fond memories of that time. And I couldn't really articulate that um, early on in my career that that was the connection point for me. And so it was sort of a full circle moment when I entered into the early childhood space, um, specifically early childhood, when I thought about education, because I knew that those early years were so critical and most fundamental as I thought back to my own experience. And so, you know, it was a very natural study government and politics, um, because that's what you do before you go to law school go to law school. Even in law school, I knew that I would work on behalf of children and families because that was something that was so important to me, especially in the education space. But then my career would take me to really begin to focus on the early years. And then that connection was sort of an aha moment for me. It's interesting what influences us so early in our lives, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It it really is. It's been a heck of a year for teachers, kids, and schools. Yes, it has. It has been an overwhelming year. I imagine 
Many of the children in your programs have single moms. I've been so worried about the impact of last year on single working moms in particular. They've been falling out of the workforce in droves. Yeah, you know, um, we do serve a population of uh, children who are living in um, single parent-headed households, particularly moms. And it has been quite a challenge. Um, The moms are juggling so much, right? Um, In the middle of a pandemic, there's so much um, social injustice and racial violence happening. And they are trying to do the best they can to take care of themselves and their families. And so um, we were hit like everyone else. We closed. back uh, in March of 2020, but we reopened um, pretty quickly. We were open back um, up in June of 2020 because we were serving a population, we are serving a population where um, our parents are working frontline jobs, are working hourly jobs, needed to go back to work, and really needed um, someone or somewhere for their play, for their children to go. Um, our population isn't the population that has the work from home um, jobs. And so we had to be there for our families um, very early during the pandemic. And we remain, we remain open. It's so interesting because in those early days, you know, hindsight's 2020, and I, I can tell that you feel like you did the right thing opening as quickly as June. So we both know that there's just no way working parents can do what they do without childcare. And it's just, it's a fundamental thing that they will fall out of the workforce if they, (laughs) if they can't find a place for their kids. So you all must've been so scared. We didn't know as much as we now know, you know, the CDC just announced that folks who've been vaccinated no longer need to wear a mask. And that's where we are a year later. Tell me about those early days. How did you all adjust with all the uncertainty? Yeah, so it was, um, you know, it's scary not to know, right, everything. And so for the for the time that we were closed, it was very important for us to remain in communication with our parents. And so every single parent was contacted by our team members, our family support coaches, our teachers, our leadership team to see what their needs were and how they were doing Um, and keeping them posted on our own plans for reopening and operating. Uh, When we finally did reopen, you know, we had to put so many things in measure, uh, so many measures in place, right? Um, Parents not being able to come inside to drop off their baby is a very big deal, right? Um, And yes. And so, you know, making sure our team was very clear on, you know, just positivity and we're all going to get through this and good morning. I know it's, you, you have a big day ahead of you, but we're here for you. Right. Um, and, and literally receiving children at the front door. Um, it, it, it's a change for us. We're used to having families walking in our buildings and coming into the classrooms and putting things in the cubbies. Um, But we just can't do that, um, could not do that. And we're still at that place. um, And we will be able to relax a little bit of that soon. Um, But but the changes in the way that we operate um, 
were very big for our families and for our staff. You know, you're, you're talking about teachers who, um, and frontline staff, our teachers and our staff at childcare centers, our frontline staff, um, who were afraid of the virus themselves. And here they are in classrooms with groups of children every day, right? And quickly in, into the pandemic, they were back in that space. So it was really about um, communicating so much to our families, but also our team members about how we were keeping them safe, um, what we needed to hear from them, um, how important it was for them to communicate to us if they had questions and concerns. Um, so it was it, it was a difficult uh, time when we reopened, but and an adjustment, and 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 everyone adjusted well, right? Um, everyone wants to do what's best for our children and our families. Tell me about what you mean when you say things like we have a two generation approach to educational success and economic security. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm asking that question, Blythe, is it, I guess that it's what's most compelling about not losing these early years for your children and and for your working parents, right? Like that's what compelled you to open under such stressful times. Yeah. So we um, do approach our work uh, through a two-generation sort of lens, right? And for us, that means that we can do everything we can to support our children by providing a high-quality early educational experience. But we also have to address what's happening with the adults in their lives, right? Their parents and their caregivers. And so it's important for us to be able to provide resources and connect parents to resources, um, whether it be around financial literacy or uh, furthering their own education, employment opportunities, mental health supports, all of those things to really uh, support that family to help them be a strong unit, right? A a strong unit um, for success. And so we really don't feel that we can address the child without the adult. And we also recognize that we're not the experts in all of the things and resources that the adults need. So partnerships and collaborations for us are huge. It's the way that we will get our work done. It's really the way that um, it's the only way to get things done when we're trying to move the needle for uh, families. You've been a driving force for increasing sheltering arms national impact. You saw the potential for a leveraged contribution. Is there a particular strategy you use to raise your organization's visibility and amplify your impact? You know, I think it's important for us to be a a couple of things. One, it's important for us to be vocal um, and out front about some of the issues and inequities in early childhood education. Um, You know, we sit at the table for national discussions around two generation. As an example, we're part of the Aspen Institute's uh, Ascend programs around two generation. And really it's about sharing what we're doing um, to support the whole family, as well as learning from others. I think you raise your national visibility by uh, that that sharing and exchanging um, to then take some of 
the others best practices and, and bring them into our organization to um, really elevate the work that we're doing. Um, but it's important for us to use our voice um, on important issues that impact um, the early childhood education field. And we're committed to doing that and sharing what we know and what has worked for us for 130 years of our history um, with others, because we truly believe that as wonderful as um, of an experience that our children and families have, all children and families should have that experience. And so we right. can do the great work, but we also want to share that great work with others. As if the work you do at Sheltering Arms were not enough, you also volunteer with organizations that serve the homeless, and you serve on multiple boards, including the National Black Child Development Institute. What do you see is the greatest challenge to these most vulnerable members of our society? Oh, wow, that's a big question. You know, I think, um, you know, I, I am big on access to resources and opportunities. Um, you know, when I think about the homeless population, um, there are so many, there's so much misinformation. Um, there's so much uh, dialogue around why homeless people are homeless without truly understanding um, what, 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 um, how a person ends up where they are. Um, and so I'm really big on access to information and resources. I think with access, um, everyone has an opportunity, homeless people, um, black children and their families, um, you know, women, um, and that that's really, that's really what it's about. Blythe, these problems are so big but you stare them down. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about where the energy comes from to remain passionate about important causes. Did you know women only have about 15% share of the voice distributed by main media? Last year, only 21% of top-charting podcasts had a female host. This is because we need more ratings and reviews. We need you. This is the only time we'll ever ask you to stop listening. Hit the pause button. Take the time right now to rate and review us. Help us change the stats. That way, we can be here when you're ready to listen again. My guest today is the wonderful Blythe Robinson. Blythe, one of the problems I've heard in clinic, especially with members enrolled in our executive health program, is that our desire to keep getting better is as strong as ever. But as we achieve high levels of success, there are fewer sources for professional development. How do you keep getting better? Wow, that's a great question. And I think um, I am definitely one who always um, thinks about uh, growing professionally and, and what I can do to, I, I always talk about adding to my toolbox. Um, and I think that there are so many experiences that I've had that I did not expect to have that I can now say, wow, I've done this and put, put it in my toolbox. Um, 
if I ever need to bring it back out. Um, and so I am, I am big on uh, continuing to learn. I think we hear a lot of people talk about being a lifelong learner, and I'm certainly one of those. I will find a course, you know, I think a lot of us during the pandemic, or maybe a lot of us got uh, into some courses, whether it was through Coursera or some others to just, you know, keep it, keep it going. Um, and I certainly uh, took some of those courses um, and I will enroll in programs and, and, and I always seek feedback from leaders I think are incredible and inspiring and they come in all different forms for me. Um, and so that's been helpful for me to continue to push myself and, and elevate. And I think back to some of my experiences, right? Like people will say, well, you went to law school. Do you ever use that degree? I think I use my law degree all the time. Um, maybe not in a traditional sense where I'm practicing in a firm or in a courtroom, but the um, skills that I learned in law school, I certainly um, use every day as a leader of a large organization. And then there are very specific things, right? I, um, our team is over 600 people. Um, the employment law comes in handy. Um, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yes. You know, we own a lot of our buildings. So that, uh, Property law comes in handy and reviewing contracts and MOUs with partners, all of all of those things really draw, um, allow me to draw on the law degree that sometimes people think is, you know, sort of back there, but it really um, is useful every day. When we think about getting better, I wonder how many people think that your career has just been this like linear or maybe um, just like you know, a rocket ship shooting off. But what I'm actually hearing from you is that it wasn't really that way, that you went to law school thinking you wanted to become a lawyer, like in the the more traditional sense. And instead, what you're finding is now your law degree really serves you well doing something you didn't anticipate necessarily doing. Like you didn't start off thinking, I'm going to be the CEO and president <laughs> of the largest, you know, early childhood education and like, this fabulousness that then goes national, right? So tell me more about how, you know, it, that progress isn't linear, that that your purpose isn't just waiting inside of you at the age of five. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it, it, that's <laughs> right. That's so uh, interesting. And so, no, it certainly wasn't linear. And, and you know, when, when I meet people and I mentor young women and they say things like, well, did you know you were going to be a CEO of a Absolutely not. I had no idea that I would be CEO of an early learning organization in Metro Atlanta um, and certainly wasn't on my my 5, 10, 15, 20 year plan. But, <laughs> but what I did know was that from an early age, um, I, I knew about fairness. I, 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 I was always the, the, the child who um, wanted things to be fair and just and I was honest and probably honest to a fault sometimes as a little girl. Um, and so I knew there was something there. How it would play out in my career just sort of unfolded. And, and you know, I have been fortunate to have um, some great opportunities and meet great people along the way. 
And I always say that I was never afraid to, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a gap filler, right? So wherever I worked, if I saw something that could be done in a different way or needed to be done or had this aha, if we did this, imagine the impact it would have, I would always bring that forward. I didn't need a new title for it. I didn't need a raise for it. I just would bring it forward and execute on it. And I truly believe that that has led me to um, where I am today and some of the opportunities I've had along the way. And you have accrued quite an impressive list of awards, uh, probably because you jumped into the gap. Do these celebrations and recognitions help you keep going? I, for one, love applauding you and seeing you on the stage. Oh, well, thank you. You know, I, uh, awards are great. And I, I really feel that um, the awards, they're really, as great as they are, they're not about me. Um they are certainly about the work that I'm doing and the impact I have in the community. But I'm a I'm a servant leader and believe that, you know, everything is bigger than. Um, and so even the awards, um, I, I think of awards that I've received here in Atlanta and how they have certainly helped to propel our organization, the mission of the organization. And so there's so much that comes with. Um, receiving those awards. They're certainly fun and I'd love to receive them. Um, but I always think of it as bigger than um, bigger than me and, and the seat that I sit in and what it represents for little girls who look like me, young women who look like me. Maybe that's why we keep shining the light on you because we like to feel it on ourselves, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Blythe, when you work on the most important problems in society, as you do, it requires such passion and purpose for the long haul. Where do you get the energy to fuel your fire? So I think, you know, my energy comes from a couple of places and certainly from um, my family. I grew up um, on both sides of my family is really focusing on giving back and supporting others, volunteering all of those things. So I think that that has really um, helped to shape and form my leadership as a servant leader, as a mission-driven person. So there's that. And then there's the real practical stuff, right? Like I exercise a lot. I, I have a plant-based diet, so I'm very conscious about what I'm putting in my body, you know, and I just take those quiet moments to recharge. And I think everyone has a different way of recharging. For me, I need to sort of quiet my mind and have some quiet moments to be re-energized, to face the next uh, day, the next challenge, the next big thing. Um, and, you know, I need a lot of strength to really be present and show up for so many other people every day and so many other people who are facing the kinds of challenges that quite frankly, a lot of us aren't facing, right? We're not thinking right. about the next meal. We're not thinking about paying rent or making the, you know, making sure we can get our utilities paid. Like there's just a lot that people are thinking of. And when you're, you carry that, it, it can be very heavy. I believe that. Is there anything that you do to help yourself with the amount of empathy that you have for these people that you serve? Empathy is such a strength 
but I find it requires specialized support and care. Mm-hmm. You know, I surround myself with a lot of like-minded people, um, and my support circles are so critical um, and have been even more critical, I would say, during this time, um, during the pandemic. Um, I've been able to just just talk it out because it is so heavy and um, needing to also have grace with myself that it, that it is okay to step back and disconnect for a minute, to recharge yourself, to show up, right? And in this empathetic way um, and continue to lead. So I, I've had to really um, lean on my circles, um, my networks of good friends, and I call them advisors, uh, personal advisors, um, to keep it all together. I have to say all that exercise and plant-based eating is really helping your skin just glow. You are radiant <laughs> oh, on the screen you. right now. <laughs> well, thank you for that. <laughs> Blythe, what's ahead for you? What are you excited about? So, you know, I, I feel like we're at a moment in time here in our in our uh, history. You know, I think we've gone through a lot. It's It's been a hard 2020 um, and into 2021, but I am I am optimistic um, for a more um, caring society. I'm optimistic for a more real um, society. I am optimistic um, for just so many people who have been um, suffering that there, there might be some light at the, at the end of the tunnel for lack of a better, uh, saying. So I'm excited for that sort of big picture. And then just personally, I feel that, you know, I have grown quite a bit this, this last year, um, in my own understanding, um, around the importance of taking care of me and being okay with, um, not having to do, not having to have the schedule that's so busy and so packed and that it's really okay to like sit down and relax and do whatever it is that you personally need to do. I have found that for me. So I'm excited <laughs> that, um, that, that balance. And we talk, we talk work-life balance all the time. And, and I don't know that I love that term, but I understand balance so much more. So I'm excited about that, to be honest. It's time for action steps for today. Blythe, what should we do to keep us passionate and engaged? So I think, uh, you know, remaining passionate and engaged, and engaged um, really means you've got to you've got to take care of you, right? And so I'm I'm as I said earlier, I'm really big on. Um, moving your body. And I don't think that everyone has to work out, you know, an hour a day, but I think moving our bodies is really, really important, um, every day. Um, you know, I think, uh, if meditation isn't your thing, just some mindfulness, right? Like just sit in quiet and think about what's important to you, what matters to you. Um, you know, be kind, being kind to yourself, 
Um, and giving giving that time and space to to be able to do that is really important. And I also think that support circle is really critical. And um, you know what I think Zoom has done for us. Uh, I mean, many of us were using Zoom here and there uh, before 2020, but now Zoom is a thing, and there's no reason that you can't connect with those uh, individuals in your life who provide you support um, when you need it. And so I think, you know, having that support circle around you is so, so important and being support for other people too. Um, It makes you feel good. It really does does, make you feel good. Yeah, absolutely. Blythe Robinson, thank you so much for your time today and for your service. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful uh, to talk with you and, and have this conversation. Thank you for listening to Hello Health Today. If you haven't already, please take some time to rate and review us. It helps other people find us. Until next time, remember, today is good. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Because I am a medical doctor, it's important for me to tell you that nothing I say here in this podcast can substitute for your doctor's advice. My lawyers make me say the same thing this way. The contents of this podcast are neither intended nor implied to be relied on for medical diagnosis, care, or treatment concerning any individual. Under no circumstances does this podcast create a physician-patient relationship, nor does it constitute engagement in the practice of medicine or the provision of any healthcare service to an individual patient. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional diagnosis and treatment. Consult a healthcare provider before making any healthcare decisions or to obtain guidance about any medical conditions. The producers of this podcast expressly disclaimed responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of reliance on the information contained in this podcast.